Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you... Yes, you. Yes, in you. Yes, and that voice you here is... Ollie Hunter. Yeah, I'm back, guys. Yes, I'm who's back. back. How are you feeling, mate? Back uh, again. Feeling good. Feeling good. A little Ollie's bit. Ollie's back. You know, a little bit... Tell um, a friend. Worse for wear, but I'm happy to be... I'm happy the band is back together, guys. The band is back Have together. you just turned me off when I was sick of Eminem? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I thought you were fading me down I for a bit hear, of, like, I wanted to hear what music. Ollie had to say. <laughs> yeah, but if you did... Uh, you know, if you were any good at this, you would have feared me down, so I was just slapping you in the background. <laughs> so, Ollie, um, how are you feeling today? Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, now, we only t- the only parts of your story that we told were when we lost you and when we found you. Would you like to fill in any of the blanks? No. Fine. Uh, Don't worry, well, I'm sure he'll do it as we said with everybody else. If, if people want to buy drinks for us to get the rest of the story... <laughs> I mean, even all you'd tell you. Yeah. The <laughs> Enough $5 margaritas in Margaritaville and he'll tell you anything. Margaritaville was great, though. We had good fun in there. We yeah. did, we did. Uh, coming up on the show today, we've got Colleen Wolf oh. around the NFL oh. and all sorts of NFL network. She was absolutely brilliant. Basically spent six or seven minutes mugging off Matt Sherry, which is exactly what you want for an interview. I mean, not mugging off Matt Sherry, but also... Uh, trying to be continuously brought back round to serious topics by, by Ollie of all people, Ollie yeah. Hunter. What were you thinking? The funny guy became the straight guy. It was a real juxtaposition, wasn't it? But not a welcome one. Whoa. I thought it was... I think... Well, people listen for yourselves, but I think uh, Colleen Wolf appreciated it. Well, okay. She she was really happy at the end of the interview. I don't know whether it was because it was over or she was happy that she had a good time with us. We desperately tried to get some Greg Rosenthal dirt off her because Greg is Nat Coombs' guest at the basketball tonight. We're off to see the... Milwaukee Bucks against the Minnesota Timberwolves and Greggy's going to be there and uh, yeah we tried to get some dirt on him and she had literally nothing genuinely nothing he's so clean cut it's ridiculous, yeah, it is um, ridiculous. so yeah we're not Something talking about you shadowy figure, 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 figure Rich White by the way <laughs> cleaner than cleaner <laughs> uh, Rich White is here as well he's listening in on the podcast uh, you know him from the Gridiron Show and from uh, Tuesday, Tuesday Morning Football, football. Yeah. in fact you'll know actually you'll know him from one time being on the Gridiron Show when I interviewed him after a London game inside a casino in London because we decided to try and record the podcast while we were there and the only bit we ever played out was a minute of Rich White <laughs> talking about the Falcons I completely forgot we done that was that because it was the worst thing you'd ever done no it was brilliant it was really funny did people think Alan Carr was on Uh, no they didn't he's a wonderful man and he's not back camp stop it absolutely stop it Uh, so we've got Colin Wolf coming up we've got Mike Haynes I would say though Hall of Fame and Los Angeles Raiders Hall of Fame cornerback this is a thing of you being ingratiated within our circle that you get the mick taken out of you so you know this is uh, this is part of it we love you more than anything else my friend that's what we're saying I mean that's over egg the pudding Rich as you well know but we we are a fan of us Minnesota Vikings GM uh, Rick Spielman joined us on the show today is it Spielman or Spielman Spielman Spielman. I just gave it a little bit of zhuzh because you know I'm around Rich Wyatt Uh, um, Rick Spielman Rick Spielman uh, who we talked Bridgewater the the further up the greasy pole Will climbs as a broadcaster the worse he gets (laughs) that's the best part is that between Ricardo Lockett speaking of the greasy pole no we already did Collie Moves damn it uh, it's a reference to Eagles fans and them greasing the pole Ollie before you start to think it was anything foul in any way they put Crisco on the poles to make sure they can't climb them around and outside that's, the stadium that's a great point why? Because, because their fans are animals the fans are oh right okay <laughs> <laughs> their fans are animals 
That's the best thing you've said today. Uh, we've got Rocky Blyer coming on, four-time Super Bowl champion. Great and story. Vietnam vet, great story. Don't tell me it, I'm going to download and listen to the it. The best part about it is, <laughs> he, um, we kind of like set up the story. And he just went, yep, that's the show version story. Will was like, well, can you, can, can you tell it? And, and then he spent like 10 minutes telling it. Yeah, we, we didn't talk for the next eight or nine minutes. And then oh. in 1972, yeah, this, it was great, wasn't <laughs> that's it? That's glorious not having to hear you two yeah, interrupting yeah, for eight minutes. It's the best so. interview we've done all week because we didn't do an interview. <laughs> because you didn't actually talk to him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he Who was else are we going to hear from? Uh, and we're going to hear from Spags. Spags. Oi, Spagsy. Oi, Spags. Spagsinho. That was quite a good little cockney accent you did there. Well done, buddy. I'm so proud. I'm proud of you. If I was listening to this podcast... Podcast... (laughs) I think what what we'll do at the end of this... (laughs) (laughs) Have you just sent yourself into a snorting tailspin? I think think what we should do at the end of this podcast is is we'll do Spags, who obviously breaks down... Spagsy! In nice detail, the 2007 Giants game plan against the Patriots. I ask him whether he sees the similarities between that team and this Eagles defence. And then I've got a couple of interviews from the Patriots availability as well. And I like to think this podcast is our transition towards starting to talk about the game in more right. detail. That's right. exactly what it's going to be. We did go to that P- Patriots media availability earlier. Bill Belichick, good form. Uh, by which I mean absolute Bill Belichick form. Did you get him a milkshake? I asked for a milkshake. Quite clearly, you said, they don't want anything from Shake Shack. I said, yes, please, I'll have a milkshake. I actually asked him because you were talking to Ollie at the time, and then when he ordered it from you, he didn't get you to get me on. Liam, it's in no way your fault. It's absolutely I'm sorry, Glenn. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not sorry in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you're going to enjoy that, Liam. I really promise you are. So we went to the uh, Patriots media availability. The. Uh, Rob Gronkowski's podium because it was his first day back he's been cleared from concussion protocol oh he's cleared he's out of it which, now which by the way Bill Belichick refused to tell us he'd been cleared even though we all knew he'd been cleared and he was turning up to the podium which he's not allowed to do unless he's been cleared so and Bill Belichick still went well we've not put out the official injury report so I can't tell you that that's basically the road he did like I get that he is very closed off and he has his way about things but sometimes you just think come on mate just it's easier for you if you just give that little piece of information Who's Lucy's consistent? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had a bit of bacon stuck in my throat. I'm eating the shake shack as we do this. Who's Lucy's consistent? Listen to the snorts, man. He's such a snort. Lucy's <laughs> consistent. <laughs> Sounded like Rich Wyatt. Can you clip? Can you clip that? Hundred percent. That's one of the best. Hundred percent. At least uh, Oh, Rich Wyatt's really looked away when I said that. He's not happy with me. I right love now. him so much. Oh God, he's a great, great guy. Oh, sweet riot. Uh, so <laughs> sweet riot. <laughs> sweet riot. It's a cross between Rich and Wyatt. Sweet riot. Oh. Um. Oh, just so made myself cry. What happens in those media availabilities is that they're on two floors, and on the floor below you have the um, basically all of the rest of the roster, and they're just available for you to go and have a chat to get a one-on-one with it there. Really? Alone. The rest of the roster? Yeah, basically, all of the rest of them down on the floor below. On the upstairs floor. I have no idea. <laughs> this is news to him. I've just strolled around the podium looking for anybody who hasn't got anyone near them, but I could have been yucking it up with the rest of the roster downstairs. <laughs> And the best At part least is it wasn't the last opportunity of the week. <laughs> it very much was. And the best part is, yep. is that you can't 
if you'd gone downstairs today while there was the Rob Gronkowski madness going on you probably could have got one-on-ones with some pretty decent to be names. fair I still got some one-on-ones upstairs yeah because everyone was around Rob Gronkowski's podium it was absolutely ridiculous um, we uh, there were a 10 podiums set up and then they do kind of availability at each of those sure. after Bill Belichick's done his press conference and um, when I walked into the room I saw Brady's podium and there were maybe kind of 15 cameras up around it and a few people stood around it I thought pretty standard looked around the room saw Gronk's podium and it probably had twice the number of cameras about 50 people stood around it and Belichick hadn't even started his press conference yet at that point it was utterly ridiculous uh, he came out and uh, he, 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 first thing he did was he got asked one question and he talked completely away from the microphone somebody said like say this is where the mic is now he went how does it feel to be healthy he went yeah it feels good mate it's like Thanks, Rob. Can you speak into the microphone? And then he What's he ch- doing? Right. Well, might still be concussed. Uh, who knows? Whoa. You can't <laughs> say that, mate. Well, I can say you that. You can't say that. You can't say that. You're going to have to time code it. Uh, I'm going to say that. Because it was clearly a joke. He's not actually concussed. We all know that. I wasn't starting a conspiracy, <laughs> conspiracy theory huh? against the Patriots. Is he concussed? You look genuinely livid. <laughs> you've, you've almost inhaled that burger. You've only been off the podcast for about 30 seconds and it's mostly gone. It's not the biggest burger in the world. You're an animal. Oh, yeah. An absolute animal. Uh, is there anything else we need? Oh, yeah, last night we got a burger. We went to Matt's. It's a, a, a Minneapolis legend. The, the, the original Juicy Lucy. It was fine. It was fine. It was pretty good, but it was nothing spectacular Matt said it at was all. The, the best burger he's ever had. He, but the king of hyperbole claimed it was the best burger he's ever had. And yet... I, I wouldn't put it top ten. I never said it was no, the best burger I've ever it. had. It was, it was definitely top five. Oh, man. It, was it was top five burger. burgers you've ever had. Really? Yeah. It was a good burger. You're only morning because yours didn't have as much cheese in well. It didn't have as much cheese in it, and I'm livid about it. Absolutely livid. Liam, oh, yeah. stop interrupting with people who are doing the podcast while they're doing it, unless you're going to put a microphone on, because it keeps meaning that there's silence in the podcast while they wait and then talk to you off mic. What is your problem, man? <laughs> <laughs> You're an absolute disgrace. And he didn't get you. He's a, still talking as well. Andy didn't get me a milkshake. Come on, shall we get to these interviews? <laughs> yeah, come on, this let's do it. This is nonsense. This is all going all over the shop again. We've already re-recorded this intro once because it was all nonsense. So we've had to do it again, and partially because we uh, we may have slandered or libelled a member of this uh, table. So we need to move on. Uh, you are listening to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips. Who are you looking? Are we at? kicking off the interview with Spags, or are we ending it with Spags? We're ending it with Spags, so we're going to start it with Spaggy. Colin Wolf. Colin Wolf now joining us on Radio Row, and she's a huge Eagles fan. She used to cover the team. She's an NFL network host, but we don't care about literally any of that. <laughs> oh, no. Because tonight we're going to the basketball with Greg Rosenthal after he's come on our podcast. And last night, he was talking a bit of smack. Yeah, not about, was, not he, about you. I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm not going, going name, after I'm him. not going to name names. I mean, you should anyway. But there was, there, yeah, was, there was some smack talks. Okay. So we need some dirt on Greg. He just seems whiter than white, and I just... Cleaner well, than he clean. Is. I mean, he used to drive a strawberry truck uh, as a summer job. That's, wow. I feel like, pretty white. How did he reach the pedals? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, as somebody else who... I'm, I'm like Look, the same height that. as We can <laughs> say that. Greg. That's why yeah. we can say it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I call him Rosie. Feel free to call him Rosie. Um, I'm sure he'll love that coming from us. He will. He, t- he totally embraces it. Uh, we actually took old the old-timey photos the other day together, oh, me yeah. and uh, a couple of the other Around the NFL podcast guys. 
So that was fun. Uh, you, you, and somebody had said on Twitter that it looked like his head was photoshopped in. So yeah. So this is the version of Dirt. He really is cleaner than clean. We he thought we is. might find. We thought yeah. we might find so one person. Dull, isn't it? I'll, I'll pr- I'll oh, stop he used to have a band uh, called <gasps> Delaware when he was, I think, like in high school, maybe. Some, have we ruined any I mean, recordings? The reason this started is there's some real dirt on Ollie. Oh. Right now, um, if you see Greg, uh-huh. just say, uh, "Look, I want to know what happened recently with English Ollie." Okay. And uh, don't Greg, he'll tell you. Yeah. No hitting the way. Greg knows the story. Oh, he is. No I can't wait to is. see Rosie. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, anyway. I'm not going to embarrass Ollie by telling you Ollie. <laughs> don't worry, you've told everybody else. Sorry. Be the first person you've not told. Why are you wearing that hat? I've got Eagles fan at the desk. You're utterly ridiculous. Yeah. We, well, it has to be just balanced somehow, over. right? You can oh. just hold it. You know, we don't want to ruin your lovely hair. Well, it's okay. I already have a headset okay, on. Okay, there you go. We'll just, yeah. Look, it's <laughs> perfect, guys. <laughs> there we go. Like a true well, Eagles fan. I don't know. Fan. Okay, yes. <laughs> um, we do need, should talk about the Eagles. Because uh-huh. out of nowhere, it seemed like five or six weeks ago, season was done, yeah. classic Eagles fashion, never going to come back from it, uh-huh. and suddenly you're playing on Sunday. Total devastation. I was beside myself. I was actually waiting for that to happen all season long, waiting for something terrible and catastrophic to happen, the sky to fall, because that's my default. I sort of set the bar really, really low, and then, hey, if anything else happens, that's great. I'm surprised. I'm pleasantly surprised by it. But uh, Essentially, what- that's everyone else at this table, apart from the Patriots fan who can't say the Barlow and so I mean, we, we it's, t- it's been tough for you right yeah uh, I yeah there's my people you hear yeah, them in the background yeah, they go, they go. <laughs> hey, they go. <laughs> yeah um, but well, when Carson Wentz went down I thought for sure they'd be out of it else, huh? Sorry. <laughs> Come on, guys. I'm listening to you. No, it is fine. Listen, the Eagles are going to win. I'm sorry. That's what You're like, you're very nonchalant about this whole thing right now. And I feel like you should be a little bit more worried, I'll tell, I'll tell a little what, more stressed. What I am is outwardly nonchalant. And inwardly, I do have a, a huge feeling of dread about this game. I, do you really? Are you yeah, lying I genuine, to me? I genuinely do, yeah. I can tell you having been near this man at two of the last three Super Bowls, <laughs> kind of, they never let us sit together. I don't understand why. But I've always just about far enough that I can see his facial expressions uh-huh. and t- when you were 10 down to the Seahawks and when you were 25 down to the Falcons I've, I've never seen a more devastated human yeah, being in my life that takes sport really hard I but every to. time that's sort of what, what you just did in your chair like you just repositioned yourself a little bit that's all the Patriots fans were doing last year in the Super Bowl just watching them yeah. squirm <laughs> in their seats was really nice until it yeah, stopped. We all knew we got the last laugh. Yeah, but I, I knew we were going to get on oh, with Colin. I'm really pleased about this. This is wonderful. Yeah, I'm just going to turn his mic off. <laughs> yes, got his mic. That's that great. is a power move. I love it. <laughs> That's a disgraceful... What I, what I find about this game is that no one's really talking about how well Nick Foles and the crew played 10 days or so ago. They're, oh, my God. No one's really talking about it because he blew up one of the best defences in the entire... They didn't the even look like themselves. They, yeah. they, look, they looked nothing like themselves. All season long, they were amazing. They pressured quarterbacks like crazy. Their, their secondary is so good. And then all of a sudden, I was really worried after that first touchdown when Kyle Rudolph scored. I was yeah. like, well, this is, this is exactly what I thought. Okay, well, I'm going to leave. And I didn't leave. Um, <laughs> but I, I just I didn't even recognize the Vikings defense. Mm. And then when Nick Foles started letting it rip, 
I was like, oh my God, I remember you. Hey. This guy. <laughs> and then there it's was... Being the back, it's being back near Pat Shermer again. It was Pat Shermer was the one that completely inspired that previously. It just needed to be in his presence again. Right. You're and right. You're right. He's back to being the five he's touchdown right. guy that... Uh-huh. Seven touchdowns in one game? Ridiculous. Yeah, he got seven. We, got somebody needs to get Pat Shermer in the building on Sunday. But, but <laughs> what else? Bring him back. Keep him out. The other thing that you... The other thing that you had, and it was typified by the pressure on Case Keenum, and who then threw up that pick six and th- that shows that not only is the secondary great but also the pressure on on uh, on the quarterback and that's what we're going to hope for as Eagles sympathizers and an Eagles fan on uh, Tom Brady on Sunday right yeah I mean that that is their bread and butter the Eagles that defensive line is so good it has such depth and the fact that they can rotate guys in bring guys in in waves and keep them with fresh legs going up against that offensive line I mean that, that's how they win the game. They can pressure with four and then drop the back seven mm-hmm. in coverage. Yeah. Sympathizers will be the right word come uh, Monday morning. But, um, <laughs> that was one of your, your worst bits of banter of the whole week. That was terrible. I thought it was solid. No. Fine. Um, but the question I'm asking myself, we've just spoke to Rick Spielman, and it turns out that any team who've won a walk-off touchdown won a playoff game with a walkout touchdown the six teams who've done it they've lost the next week I heard that so how much of that win against the Vikings was a real representation of what the Eagles are and how much was them playing against a team who were coming off what they were coming off who let's be honest the momentum shifted quickly with the pick six and then the next time so how much was it just that domino effect of being in that stadium on the road against that kind of team well, or are the Eagles really Patriots fan. I think that that was a completely accurate depiction right. of the Eagles, and that's exactly what they're going to do to the Patriots, and it's going to be a blowout Super Bowl game. <laughs> and, and because you're going to basically have a home crowd on right. Sunday on the basis of where tickets are going at the moment. I, I think, think it will be. It's going to be so heavily Eagles, I reckon. You think so? Yeah, massively. Ooh. We spoke to the people from uh, a certain online ticketing agency. You have deep sources. And okay. uh, they were saying that so many of the tickets are selling to that area. So I think it's going to be Eagles Uh-oh. heavy. We got you excited. I, I'm, I cannot wait. I am so happy. I love that you're this happy because this guy is so nonchalant every time. And it's I know. Just ridiculous. It'll be like that. It'll be like that massive Seahawks crowd in Arizona. That really worked for them, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be like crying in a corner on Sunday. So are you working on work Sunday? Out. Are you working in the morning? I'm what's, working what's in the morning. Uh, I'm doing our pregame coverage, game day morning. We think we have eight and a half hours uh, of pregame. Eight and a half hours of Colleen Wolf on, on, on <laughs> Of Eagles talk. Oh, right. <laughs> it's really wonderful. <laughs> In fact, on one of our shows, it was before the NFC Championship game, our boss came into the studio with a Vikings helmet on, and he was like, guys, you know this is not an Eagles pregame show, right? (laughs) And we were like, get out of here. (laughs) Um, Well, enjoy on Sunday. Thank you. And hopefully on Sunday night, you're going to be able to enjoy yourself because you're going to be a fan of a Super Bowl champion. Yes, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Enjoy, Sorry. The, enjoy the occasion. Your team doesn't get in the Super Bowl every year. <laughs> enjoy oh. it now. That's what you're saying. You're the worst oh human being God. ever. <laughs> Thanks, Thank guys. you so much. <laughs> Thank <fun>. you. <laughs> Back down now on Radio Row and uh, the man who knows this city well and will understand why we're having so many issues as <laughs> coming from abroad and, and literally Rick Spielman, general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, on the walk across from the us to the Mall of America, which was maybe 50 or 60 yards. My beard froze. I actually had little icicles coming off my mustache. So. It, it's, it's all a matter of mindset. I mean, I was out uh, every morning. I go out and walk my dogs. I went out for my two-mile walk today with the dogs. And uh, But I know it's cold when the dogs don't even want to go out, and I have to kick them in the rear end to get them out the house. <laughs> 
that's the that's the clear sign. Um, obviously, you have about the most interesting couple of months of anybody of the NFL. <laughs> it seems like again every year. Do you have any beat on what you're going to do with these three guys at quarterback? Is that decision made yet, or are you still working through it? No, I think our number one priority right now is hiring the offensive coordinator. Okay. Pat Shermer took over as a head coach, as you guys know, of the New York Giants. And uh, last week and early this week, uh, myself and Coach Zimmer have been really honed in on getting that position filled. I think once we get that position filled, then we'll go through our process, and he, uh, that offensive coordinator will be a major part of the decision on going forward on a quarterback. The biggest thing, though, is you have to be on the same page. So is this offensive coordinator, what is the system? Is he going to use the system we currently have in place? Is he going to bring in his own tweaks? Um, so a lot of that will be based off uh, the decision we go from a quarterback standpoint. So I guess what you said is it's basically all first because... I, I, I guess what you could do is, if you've decided on one guy, a quarterback, maybe try and marry the quarterback with the OC. But I guess, are you saying that you're going to interview OC candidates, take their opinions on the three guys, and then make it the decision that way? Because I guess you could potentially play that both ways. Yeah, I think the one thing why we've had success, especially since Coach Zimmer has came in, is we work together as one team. And there's specific traits we're looking for. I know when Coach Zimmer, we were 32nd in defense, and this year we were first within four years because it's the type of players that we're looking for, not only the physical traits that they have to have to play in the scheme, but also what type of character guys they are. So I would never want to bring in a player that's not going to fit a scheme. And we're, we are in constant communication between our scouting staff and our coaching staff on not only what physical trait that player needs, whether it's a quarterback or an offensive tackle or a receiver or a defensive back, but also is it the right fit from a character standpoint. That collaboration that you mentioned is, is interesting. I've written a couple of times in, in the magazine back home this season about how it seems to me that in teams that struggle now, we see this disconnect between the front office and the coaching staff. And I cited the Vikings as a great example where you can see on the field that particularly on that defense those guys have been picked with specific roles in mind and that tells us about the collaboration between it. how important is is that relationship because you know I, I made a comment earlier is that we've progressed especially on the defensive side and when you see your players out there and they don't even have to communicate because they know the scheme they know what each one is doing and you can, they just look at each other, and they know how they're going to make the adjustment to a motion or anything happening in the game. And when you can reach that plateau where those players know each other that well but are physically able to do what they do on the field, that you got something that you built pretty special. And I think last year when Pat Shermer had to take over with North Turner, the um, uh, step down that we started establishing out on offense and from being 28th in offense last year to I think we're almost 10th we want to continue that path so it's the same on both sides of the ball I, I think the, the the fact that on that defense you've got no one who's been there from the starting 11 who's been there less than three years and that communication they get from that and yet Terence Newman was around earlier and you've got some guys on there who it's fair to say are veterans I think it would be the nice way of putting it so <laughs> senior citizen senior citizen veteran it's all the same <laughs> so I mean how how are you already looking at that that restock considering you've got some older talent there and 
how much is it going to be about the, the, the chemistry over the, maybe the talent? We went through that process last year where we had a bunch of veteran backups. And to me, as you continue to build your roster, you want to identify some of those guys that you definitely want to keep around because even though physically they not may not be what they were a couple years ago, but they are so sharp mentally and they rely on making plays on their mental ability and them just off their experience. Plus, they're great team guys. They're great locker room leaders down there to keep us all going in the right direction. But I think you can only keep so many of those guys and you have to refresh your roster every year. We had a pretty big turnover on our roster last year. We had five new, basically starting offensive linemen. You know, we had another quarterback, which, you know, hopefully that position would be solidified. But you can't predict injuries. That's the one thing in this business. <laughs> and then you, you continue to build year in and year out. And if you can do that, then you're going to have a competitive roster every year. And, and on that very point, I think, uh, I think the first time we spoke was over the phone directly after maybe the 2013 draft. We had a conversation then when you had a ridiculous number of first-round yeah, picks at that point. And, and obviously your quarterback situation is indica indicative of you can't predict injuries. But... I, You've never been a man I've often questioned, and yet the decision. To a lot of people do. <laughs> and yet the decision to sign Latavius Murray and then go and draft Dalvin Cook. In my mind, I was trying to figure out how that worked. It worked out in the end with Dalvin obviously going down. But are you confident that he's going to be a player that comes back and continues to have that impact off this injury? And yeah, talking with our medical staff. Uh, in fact, when I got back in town, I spoke with them yesterday, and they think that he is exactly on the same path that Adrian Peterson was when he came off his AC. L. And there's no question about his talent and what he's shown in the first four games before he went down. And, and Delvin's attitude on how he's attacked this rehab, and it's amazing, especially young guys, for the first time in their career when maybe they have to go through some adversity and all of a sudden he's not playing out there, but yet we're still winning out there. He has a drive like very few have on getting back on that field and even getting better than what he showed uh, early in the season before he got injured. I, I want to kind of circle back to a bit of that in a second. I just do you, you, people you, you, over in London there are questioning stuff we oh, do too oh, here. Absolutely, <laughs> it's everywhere. Jeez, <laughs> no, um, like, I thought he just got it at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just want to know how bittersweet is this week now because you were so close, and I mean. The, the last week, the, the game a couple of weeks ago to me was just a little bit weird because it was so different to what your games have been all season. It just seemed a road environment, a couple of players went against you and then suddenly the domino effect happened. So how bittersweet is it as a guy who's been in this city for a long time and I imagine it's great to see this show in Minnesota but you guys were so, so close to being here. It, it's frustrating because it's right here in our home but also I know we have so much that we have to get done going into next year and... All that, you don't have time to sit around and feel sorry for yourself. And I told our staff this, coaches, players, and uh, even our personnel staff, and even the business side. You guys are going to have to an opportunity, maybe once in a lifetime, to host a Super Bowl here in Minnesota. Let's show the world what we do as Minnesotans to put on the first-class event. And it's that's how you go about it. You, you get knocked down, you get yourself back up, and you go at it again. It's... Uh, everything from A to Z on how we do things it's called resiliency and, and relentlessness and uh, try to always uh, that's what we that's what we're built on Look, looking back on that game do you, does, does any part of you think that the ridiculous high of the week before you know, almost was too difficult to get back up from we, there was a stat out there that teams that have won and walk off touchdowns I think there were six teams 
uh, that have won a walk-off touchdowns in the playoff. They were 0-6 the next week. They were minus 24-point differential. There was a minus 11 in turnover ratio. And even someone pointed out to me the uh, Franco Harris catch. Back in, <laughs> yeah. They lost the following yeah. week to Dallas, but then they went on, and that's when they made their Super Bowl run after they went through that experience. I think everything we went through in the previous year with all the injuries and our head coach going through eight eye surgeries and trying to survive the Teddy Bridgewater uh, injury, we grew from that, and I think that showed this year when we did hit adversity and we lost to Dalvin Cook. Our guys learned how to rally around that and play for each other, and I think that helped our football team. And hopefully getting this close and getting a taste of what it's like to play in a Super Bowl, I think we have an opportunity to definitely move forward from last year. Uh, we've spoke a lot about collaboration between head coach, general manager. Could I ask about Bill Belichick? Because as a guy who puts rosters together... It must be incredible to watch a guy who effectively does both of those jobs the, at once. I mean, they've got a great staff that are underrated behind him, but ultimately he builds teams for his coaching, and that's a rare... rare no, story. he's he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's maybe one of the greatest coaches that ever coached the NFL, and he has a unique ability, which is rare, uh, to do both roles. Um, but I know in our situation, and you look how they built their roster, and it's, you know, they don't have a, yeah, they got the quarterback, which is a key to their success, but they have a lot of very good football players that may be not the most recognizable names out there, but they played together as a team. And that feels similar to what you guys are building right now. And as that's, well. that's how we've built this over the last three or four yeah. years, is you put together a team, and I know a couple of players, if they start talking about, hey, I'm not getting enough balls my way. Coach Zimmer ain't going to put up with that. He says, if this week is this how we're going to win, you've got, you're only get one catch this game because we need you to block. That's how we're going to win. And when you can put the team ahead of individual results, you're always going to have a chance to have a chance. Um, on that, that kind of point of the team and, and the ethic on that, and you expertly avoided the quarterback question at the beginning uh, by talking about the offensive coordinator, but just very specifically on one player, Teddy Bridgewater, you've mentioned a couple of times. A question has been asked by us across the media, and I'd be interested to know from inside the building, over how much emotion comes into the decision when it comes to Teddy Bridgewater, because everything we hear is how liked he is in the building, how brilliant he's been, and coming back from this injury. How can you separate that from a decision of, is he going to fit a scheme? That's, that's extremely hard, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you guys are aware of those decisions over across the pond as well <laughs> that we have to go through. <laughs> but... Um, to watch him and the devastating injury that happened and where he is at today is, is truly an inspirational story. Um, and his dedication and even how he interacts with that teammates. And I remember, you know, as he went through, got in early his rookie year, made steps his second year and his third year. I'll never forget the third preseason game against the San Diego Chargers. He had like 140 quarterback rating. And it's like, this is our guy for the future going forward. And he had a great preseason until eight days before the opener and all of a sudden devastation hits but having the team we have and having coach Zimmer as a leader of that locker room and a leader of the, that group of men we were able to overcome that now I have always said I'm going to be as aggressive as I can as long as we do our due diligence to give our team the best opportunity to win and I know in that situation that was the best solution we had. And we ended up 8-8 eight and eight that year. And I think 
two or three games, two Detroit games where he lost in the last seconds, and even that Dallas game on a Thursday night when Coach Zim wasn't even able to coach, showed you what this team is, is built of, and we could easily win 10 or 11 games that year. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Coach Zimmer and Belichick in, in a similar breath earlier. I was thinking about, we watched the two Bills screen oh, yesterday. Oh, so good. Thinking about the Bill Parcells connection, but how comfortable are you, how much more comfortable are you now in your seat because you know that you've found your head coach and I guess people talk about quarterbacks with general managers but that is as important as, as finding If you don't have the relationship between the head coach and, and general manager and lockstep on the direction you want to take your franchise and people in that organization including the players start to feel those cracks in that separation that's when you know you're going to start to have issues but um my relationship and working with Coach Zimmer when we went out and I had an opportunity to hire a head coach for the first time, I knew he was the right guy because we had a lot of the same philosophies and I knew what type of leader he was and I knew what type of teacher he was in development of talent because he's taken a lot of guys through his career and made good players into very good and great players and a lot of these extensions that we have coming up with this young core that we want to keep together over the next four or five years they owe Coach Zimmer maybe $10 out of that contract for what he's done for, uh, for them and how he's developed them. Um, the final thing, and thank you so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. You've been over to the UK twice now. Love. London's my favorite out of all time. I always you are, you're also a big Premier League football guy. Huge. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Mendy's here tomorrow. If you want to come back and, and meet him, get along. I don't know how you feel about Man City, but we'll happily have you on with him. Um, but I have a close friend who's a Man City guy. And I, I'm, I've always kind of been a Tottenham Hotspurs guy. And well, Harry Kane, I love Harry Kane. I think he's the ultimate pro. Now, I don't know him, but just watching from a he's distance He's a big NFL fan He's a big well. NFL fan as well. And I watch it every Saturday and Sunday. That's all I have. And Coach Zimmer comes in on Sunday morning. We're at the stadium. I'm there at 8 o'clock for the games. And I've got uh, uh, NBC uh, Sports on. And uh, was it Rebecca Lowe and uh, the yeah. Robbies and the uh, Men and Blazers? I'm all into all that By the way, <laughs> by the way, Rebecca Lowe, formerly of TalkSport. Yeah. Before she moved oh, to the really? States, yeah. she was uh, on our books. Um, but... I just find because when it comes to London there's obviously we're down to just three teams who won't have been at the end of this season but as someone who's been over twice if, if another general manager asked you if another coach asked you about the logistics of coming to London what it does for your team how they react to it what advice do you give them? Outstanding and if you have an opportunity that you are presented to go over and experience that it, it, it's an incredible experience and I can't tell you the electricity that our players and coaches felt when we went into Twickingham last year and all the Minnesota Vikings fans that were in that stadium and to hear that skull chant going, uh, it, it's incredible. And we're 2-0, and so I've had great experiences <laughs> of coming over to London. And I do want to give a shout-out to Arsenal because when we were over there, I got an opportunity to go over to Arsenal and spend a lot of time with their front office and uh, got a chance to meet their manager, and it was pretty pretty special in my eyes. Although Sanchez was still on the team. Did he get transferred? Yeah, he's he did. Yeah, he's Man United now. But they made some big deals on transfer deadline day, which was yesterday. So it, they're, they're, they're looking good. They're all, well, good might be Our transfer window's coming right. up here in March. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking forward to it. Well, Rick, I would love to get you back on Around the Draft again. It's always a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much right. for your time. Just don't bash me too bad. I love London. <laughs> I love the people over there. <laughs> Delighted to be joined now on uh, Radio Row by four-time Super Bowl champion. I mean, uh, 
Yeah, we, we've had one-time Super Bowl champions, two times. We won't mention that Charles Haley was here the other day. <laughs> but we're now joined by a man with four Super Bowl rings uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Rocky Blyer, how are you doing, hey guys, sir? how are you doing? Well, so i got to ask you, my first question is... Uh, is, are you uh, interviewing us now? Is that, I'm Which interviewing is, 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 is uh, American football big over in UK? Huge. Huge. It's, in the, it's, it's definitely on the way as well. The Steelers have been over. They've played. Oh, They've I know they it, did. So. Yeah, yeah, I know they did. I just was wondering. You know, it's the, I think it's the fastest growth sport in the UK. It, is it really? It, yeah. is the, it is the fastest growing sport in the UK over the last 10 years. Uh, it's gone from being the 12th biggest televised sport to the 5th. Okay. Um, um, and yeah, it's genuinely really going in the right direction. We've started doing live coverage on our station from this year, but we've had a dedicated show to it for the last four years. All right, well, so that's excellent. Yeah, it's going in the right direction. Very so, much so. so they should know automatically who I am. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it depends on how much of an NFL films fan they are. It depends on or how, how many how old they are. are. So the <laughs> <laughs> I didn't <laughs> want to say that. I was just trying to be nice about it, Rocky. Come on, I'm, I'm only 26. So I know you are. Good. Well, yeah, but, He's a weirdo, but, but you get you get Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually got that. That's not the reason. I'd, I'm fully aware. Um, I, to start off with, because you are here representing um, uh, a leading a leading veteran hiring solution, and your story is particularly amazing, considering you went to Vietnam, mm-hmm. you were injured in Vietnam, and yet you won four Super Bowls. Yeah. Very simple. It was a very simple story. Just <laughs> it was. <laughs> well, could you oh, tell us a period the story? of time? I'll tell you. Sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you. <laughs> so, so part of my story was that, of course, the uh, Vietnam War that was taking place in the you know in in the sixties, and then all of a sudden into in, in, into seventies, um, and there was here uh, a draft process for. Uh, filling needs uh, within the military. Uh, it wasn't all volunteer as we have today, uh, nor was there a lottery at the time that, uh, that, that came in the latter part of the um, 60s and early part of the 70s. Uh, so everybody was eligible for the draft, or you could go into the Reserve or the National Guard to kind of sideslip that. A very different draft from the one we're normally talking about here on Radio Road. That's right, yes. Not the NFL. <laughs> That's right. So I come out of the University of Notre Dame in 1968, and I am drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers um, at that time. And so I'm a highly touted, uh, very de- in-demand running back as the 416th person picked in the draft that year. And so there were 17 rounds. I was the 16th round draft choice. <laughs> going to the Pittsburgh Steelers so who had never won a game. They were the losingest teams throughout their existence. Was, was Chuck Noll there then? No. Chuck so Noll was not there. Yeah, so Chuck hadn't arrived yet and so we had only won two games anyway um, that season and it was right after the 10th game. I played 10 games and I got my draft notification which would happen at that time. Slipped through the cracks, whatever the reason is and all of a sudden I'm in the military. Uh, going through the training that is necessary and everybody was going to Vietnam because that's where the war was and I got orders and cut and went to Vietnam and was signed to my company and uh, over there and um, after four and a half months in country we uh, ran into an ambush and I got wounded twice the same day I got shot in the left leg and same action, got hit with a grenade later on, blew up to my right foot, knee, and thigh. The prognosis was I'd never 
play football again because of the damage that had taken place because I asked what they would think, you know, could I do this? And their response is, well, don't don't consider it. It just won't have the strength and flexibility to what we perceive to be a running back in the NFL. In the meantime, because so in the meantime, uh, I get a letter in the mail. I get a postcard, actually, and it had two lines on it. It said this, Rock, team's not doing well. We need you, Art Rooney, who was the owner of the team at the time. Well, they didn't need me, but it was a nice gesture on his part that somebody cared. Being the organization that they are and were at the time, I came back, and um, basically they bought me two years. The first year I came back, and they put me on injured reserve. Second year, they put me on the taxi squad, or the developmental squad, as it's called now. But they bought me two years of an opportunity to heal, to get stronger, to get bigger, faster, and something. And you have to do something with that. So 1972, I come back to the team, and... um, I'm the leading ground gainer during the exhibition season. Not the regulars, just the exhibition season. And so, uh, but it's good enough to make the team. Yeah, okay? I so I don't so. ever carry the ball thereafter playing special teams and making tackles and so on. Come back in 72, 71, and same thing takes place in, I, I said in 73. Same thing, leading ground gainer again during the exhibition season. Got to carry the ball once that season. Hey, better than the year before. So How many yards uh, on that carry? Yeah, 19, 16, actually. It was oh. 16 yards. So it was, uh, it's just such bad good. <laughs> it was good. Uh, and, uh, so, and so, but basically, as I was saying, in, in, in 1974, I came back and was a leading ground gainer. Now, I tell you that in context, and the reason wasn't because I was bigger, better, faster than anybody else. It was a simple reason that they were trying to get rid of me. So trying to get rid of me is that, <laughs> is that they were giving me an opportunity to run and, and, and play. So all I did was I carried the ball more than anybody else during that period of time. Uh, and because of that, uh, I was a leading ground gainer. Uh, and so they had to keep me in 1974. So as the fifth running back out of four, just so that you know, back playing special teams once again at the bottom of the heap. When things happen, you know, Franco Harris, our big starting fullback, gets hurt. You know, and the backup is inserted in the game, and I become the backup to the backup. Somebody's I had not be. been there before those years. So it was like, hey, they like me. You know, renewed figure, I'm going to go into that. Then all of a sudden, the backup gets hurt, and I'm inserted in the game. And then all of a sudden, Franco's back, and... We become the running back set in 1974, and we win the division, and we go to the playoffs, and we win the playoffs, and we go to the Super Bowl, and we win the Super Bowl, and then we play six more years together, and we win three more Super Bowls, I being part of that backfield. And in 1976, Franco and I become the second set of running backs in the history of the NFL, each to gain 1,000 yards rushing on the same we team in the same year. We guys at Miami in 72, yeah. Right, in 72. That's yeah. it. And so, um, and so I get to play, you know, 12 years with with that team uh, and so the, the whole story is just having opportunities the whole story is getting a chance and having an opportunity to, 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 to do that a lot of people don't get that chance we see running back groups thrive together more now in the NFL it seems that the good Russian teams like to have two guys how did that relationship work between you and you and Franco in, in well, that point? It, you know it worked it worked well because I didn't want to be Franco you know I mean I didn't want to be that you know, I just wanted to be able to play, and so I had a role, and so I played my role, you know, very well. I was a blocking back for Franco, so to speak. I got a chance to carry the ball every now and then whenever Bradshaw 
felt sorry for me and he'd give me the ball <laughs> and, then, and then I was able to pick up some yards but uh, so it worked well you know worked well within the system Franco did what he had to do I, you know and I got to contribute and be a part of that team and offense by simply blocking not a glorious position but it was a good, great we've spoken to a lot of former Steelers players over the years I actually spoke to, to Art Rooney a few years ago obviously recently passed away um, all I assumed the guy you were talking about was his dad originally but um, how much are you still involved with the team because they seem to be to me to be the best team in the league uh, remembering the, the guys who have played for them and to create that kind of family culture and big on it um, very much so I mean they, those those are former players that, that live in Pitts and they and they bring players back uh, for different uh, venues throughout the throughout the season to uh, be for an autograph session or pay tribute to them or whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, so we're we're still very involved. They in, involve us and um, uh, and want our support uh, to, um, to to interact with the communities. It's funny that you talked about the blocking and the, the element of the second back in there. As a as a running back and as someone who was in the league when yeah, the running back was king, it's quite nice to see a Super Bowl this weekend where running backs are going to play such a huge part. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, well, I've always thought of, you know I've always thought it was a huge part. You know, in, in today's in today's running game, you got away from two backs. Now there's one back. You know, it's a feature. Now we get uh, you know a tight end and you know three receivers, and you know it's an open game, more passing game, and so on. But I th I really do think that there's you know room to go back to that two-back offense um, and it, 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 at times is, is much needed can confuse the defense they don't know what to do <laughs> after uh, after having only one back um, but I always thought it was a I always thought it was an important part of the game I'm sure it's an important part of the game but they talk about passing league don't they that's a, that's what all the talk is about absolutely that uh you gave me a tap on the leg. I thought it meant you wanted to ask a question. We're lucky this is pre-taped. I do apologise. I just I'm fascinated to hear the story. And there's yeah. so many. There's so much more. I'd love to, to talk to you about about your experiences at that time. But I'm very aware that we're on Radio Row, and you need to get out there and get more people knowing about Fastport, America's Fastport. leading veteran hiring solution. That's right. We have American listeners. They need to know about Fastport. I know as well. over there. So and you get military support. over there. That's right. You know, yeah. you get a mid. So uh, where are you going to start the British franchise of it? As we've said. Yeah, that's so. right. So perfect. So good luck. Good Guys, Thank you guys. Delight. Thank you so much. <laughs> Wednesday morning, still on Radio Row, a Hall of Famer joining us now, but not only a Hall of Famer, one of our favourite annual guests, former Patriot, former Raider, former cornerback, Mike Haynes. Mike, how are you doing, pal? I'm doing great. Good morning. Um, first things first, last year when you came and sat with us on Radio Row, you just found out that your son had got into, I'm going to get it right Boston in a minute, College. got into Boston College, and you were beaming, and you were speaking to your family on the phone and everything. One year on, how's he getting on? He, Boston College is, uh, you know, last year their, their team did really well. They got to a bowl game, but they got beat by Iowa in a bowl game in New York, the uh, Pinstripe Bowl. But my son had a great experience. He went there as a quarterback. Now they are moving him to defensive back. I don't know why. You know, his dad was a defensive back. I, I was going to say a little bit of. I was going to uh, say it might be at the <laughs> in the blood. In the blood, definitely. <laughs> um, but today, I don't know if I today on my way over here, I was looking at uh, or listening to uh, the um, news, and they were talking about a couple of quarterbacks like Alex Smith and a couple of guys getting traded. Now, what were the millions of dollars they were talking about for these quarterbacks? It's I crazy. Like, oh my God! It is it's off the charts. Stuff. How how much money these guys are getting? So. 
I'm, you know, I hope my son knows what he's doing by switching. <laughs> <laughs> the opportunities seem great for the quarterback position. You say that, but if we, if you had a, a great shutdown corner like yourself in the NFL right now, I'm pretty sure if you were playing right now at the level you were back then, you'd, you'd be, you'd be fine for money. I think. Yeah, right? probably right. You're probably right. I hope you're right. I like to think so. <laughs> um, start off with because you join us every year to talk about uh, uh, know your stats and it's obviously prostate cancer it is such a, a huge issue not just here in, in America but home in the UK and, and all around the world and you were just saying to us we got handed the usual sheet the information sheet and we said oh we know it off by heart by this point talking to Mike but you were just saying to us unfortunately the numbers are going the wrong way yeah before last year it was one in seven men would be diagnosed with it now it's one in nine so um, you know I, I don't know what's going on I don't know what's going on but uh, we got to find out. So I don't know if that means m- m- more men are not going, you know, to get checked uh, or more men are just getting it. But my, my guess is it's relating to them getting checked. And, um, and when they finally go to get checked, it's too late. And you know? you think as we get kind of further on, it, you know, it's 2018 now and, and people's kind of views to the world are a little bit because there was always a bit of a stigma around getting your prostate checked. There was the idea that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't something that men felt comfortable with. You kind of feel like as we progress as a society, it wouldn't be such an odd thing for people. But well, for the yeah, most part, we're talking checked. about a, a blood test, right? Yeah. For the most part, it's a blood test. And the other is a, the digital rectal exam. You have to have both tests, but I don't know if you always have to have both. I mean, if it doesn't run in your family, you probably don't always have to have both. You probably can just work on the blood test. If it runs in your family, you definitely want to do both tests. Um, so, you know, there's really no excuse for men. If We all have the ability to ask our dad and your grandfather and brothers if, if they've had it, if it runs in the family. Um, and if they say yes, then you, you react and you start talking to your doctor at your 40. If you don't, if it doesn't run your family, you can wait until you're 55. I was lucky. I was diagnosed with um, prostate cancer when I was 55, and it did run in my family. But I found out by total mistake, by being in the right place at the right time, a doctor gave me enough information and scared me that when I got back home, I called my primary care doctor because I was just at a, a screening for football players, you know. Uh, and um, he said, well, let's send you in for a biopsy, and that's the only way you can tell if you have cancer. You're not going to find out by going to a screening. You're going to find out from a biopsy, which is not a fun test, that you, you know, but it's a test that needs to happen if you really want to know if you have it or not. Yeah, terrifying stuff, but the main thing is people go, they go find out about it, and they go and get themselves checked. Yeah, get yourself checked. Find out in the early stages. It's totally treatable. You're going to be fine. But if you wait until you have a symptom, oftentimes it's too late. Let's talk football, Mike, because we've got a, okay. a, a game coming this weekend. And we've said it to you before. For you, it was always a, a disappointment that you had to move teams to, to go and, and, uh, and get your championship, move teams to go and, and finally reach that pinnacle. But you've still got a lot of love for, for the New England Patriots, I imagine. Oh, always, always. You know, uh, Robert Kraft, he's a great owner. Um, he's done a, a, a lot for the community and a lot for former players and current players. I love his mindset. Uh, he wants to win at the, at, you know, and he's hired great coaches. You know, every coach you can think of that has ever been there under him has been a pretty good coach. And now he, with Belichick, it's risen to the, the highest level of, of coaches. And you got to say that Bill Belichick is the greatest coach that ever coached in the National Football League. How do like, this is a question that's asked left, right, and center by everyone all of the time, quite literally. And yet we've never 
been able to completely nail down an answer. Maybe Mike Haynes can. How have they managed to stay so relevant and so good despite the fact that we lived in a draft era, despite the fact we live in a salary cap era? It's meant There's meant to be parity. A team is not meant to go to the Super Bowl eight times in 16 years, and yet this Patriots team are doing that. Well, one, I think, you know, um, everything starts at the top and starts with Robert Kraft. So when he bought the team, he did things to bring back uh, or, or, or to, to um, bring back the guys like me who played there when he was watching and a big fan uh, and uh, a guy who might have left angry you know, and not wanting to be associated with the Patriots. Well, he wanted to change that. He wanted to change that emotion, change that spirit, and give positive energy from me or get positive energy from me and the guys who played there in those years, like Sam Cunningham and Russ Francis and Stanley Morgan and guys like that. So um, he's done a lot to change the energy of the team. Uh, and then he started hiring good coaches. And I think that, you know, he's a really a, a bright guy and he kind of is active in the, in the organization and his son is too. And I think they've kind of figured it out. They're around these coaches like Bill Parcells, you know, uh, and, and Bill Belichick and uh, who know, these guys know football. And uh, when he also bought the team, they, can, they still had Bucko Kilroy as the general manager. So he was there. They still had guys like Ernie Adams. He was there. So there's some mainstays. There's some guys that have always been there before Robert Kraft even bought the team that are there that they can meet together and talk about different things like what does it really take to win and what kind of players do we really need to win, what kind of quarterback, what kind of receivers. And they're smart enough to figure it out. And uh, I, I really think that it's not something that other teams couldn't do, but uh, they have been able to do it successfully for for a long time, uh, you know, focusing on the type of character that it's going to take uh, to be a New England Patriot, a guy who can come back in the fourth quarter, never give up on his team. And, you know, when you have a guy like Brady who seems to be really um, a, a guy who can concentrate and stay focused and stay in the moment and help his team to learn how to do that, I think it makes a difference. I think it makes a huge difference. And I don't know that if, if Brady was there that they would be able to do that year in and year out. If he we, wasn't there. We mentioned cornerbacks and money. The, the Patriots kind of did something out of character this offseason. They went out and signed Stefan Gilmore, big money free agent. They paid him big money. What have you seen from him, and particularly down this stretch run of the season, and, and what kind of player is he? Who are we talking about? Stefan Gilmore. Um, you know, when it comes to the players, when it comes to the players, it's all Bill Belichick. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it's like, you know, it's just do your job. If you can do your job, it doesn't matter what position you play under in the Bill Belichick system, you're going to be fine. So he doesn't like the guys to be too high when they win. You know, it's not, hey, the guys, you're here, you did what we asked you to do, and we won, you know. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's what I, at least that's what I feel about Bill Belichick's teams. Even, even now, they're going to lose the offensive and the defensive coordinator. They still have Bill Belichick. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's going to be different when they lose those guys. I don't think it's going to be any different because they still have Bill Belichick. His personality, he knows what he's wanting. He knows what he's looking for. He gets it. Everybody knows if they work or play for Bill, they know exactly what they need to do to make him happy. I, I don't expect there to be a lot of changes, even though a lot of changes are always going on. Um, I, this is, uh, I'm trying to get the dates right in my head, Mike, but I think you were in Los Angeles right towards the end of the Raiders' time. I think they might have moved not long after after you were there. Um, what, what's your kind of take on 
them now moving on to Las Vegas and that fan base kind of in Oakland getting the team taken away from them like Los Angeles did around the time you were there? Well, I feel sorry for Raider fans, especially in Oakland. You know, they lost the Raiders to Los Angeles and then they came back uh, and uh, now they're losing them to, to Las Vegas. Um, I don't, you know, I, but, you know, I think it's close enough where real diehard Raider fans, they'll still get there. Maybe before they would go to every game, now they'll maybe go two, two games, three games a year, something like that. Um, but I really think my worry about them moving to Las Vegas is they might lose their home field advantage. That there's going to be so many people. Like, imagine if they're playing the Eagles in the wintertime. You know, <laughs> you think the Eagles are, fans are not going to come out there. Uh, and Eagle fans from all over the country, well, that's the one game that they want to go to because they'll be in Las Vegas. Guaranteed to have a great halftime show. You know, all that stuff. It's all going to be good. So I think the NFL is going to really be excited and happy that they moved a team to Las Vegas. Raider fans, I'm hoping that they don't lose home field advantage, you know, uh, by being in Las Vegas. Over time, that could happen. How weird is it to see teams playing back in Los Angeles now, but not just playing, with the Rams actually being successful? A contender. Yeah, I think it's great. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles, so I grew up a Rams fan, and uh, it's good to see... Uh, football in Los Angeles. I think you know cities like LA need uh, a, a big franchise that that wins, uh, and they have that again. So it's, it's pretty exciting. And they had a great year last year. A new young coach, a uh, lot of excitement. I think that's good for LA, and again, I think it's good for the NFL. Can they sustain two teams? Do you think? I don't know about that. You know, and and maybe, maybe. Um, I don't know about that. I just don't know because, you know, the, the Chargers, I mean, if both teams, you got to be a winner. This year the Chargers had a pretty good season. So, um, you know, it was pretty easy to, to get fans to go there, but their stadium only held, what, 30, 30, 35 yeah. or 35,000 or something like that. So I think that that's all good, but I don't know if they can fill up the Coliseum or the, or the stadium that they're going to play for both teams. I think that's going to be difficult. Listen, if it doesn't work out, I quite like the sound of the London Chargers. Yeah. I think that fits quite nicely as far as we're concerned. Well, the Los uh, Angeles Chargers? No, the London Chargers. <laughs> oh, oh, I like that too, actually. That sounds pretty good. That'd be nice. That if, would be nice. If, if it's not going to work with two teams in Los Angeles, they're going to need a new home. We've got some great stadiums. We've got great fans. I'm saying, I'm banging the table now. Get the Chargers over to yeah. London. Oh, I love it. So uh, I don't know if you got to talk to the Spanos if they want to do it. <laughs> Uh, maybe they have to sell the team. Maybe somebody from London could buy the team. Maybe we'll buy the team. Mike, <laughs> how are you for money at the moment? Because we're going to need some investors. We're going to have to put in together. I'm saying the three of us, get in there. Get involved with the guys at Tottenham at that new stadium. Let's, let's go and buy the charges and get them over to London. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Let's start a campaign right now. Uh, Mike, it's always a real pleasure catching up with you. Knowyourstats.org for, for all the information. Um, Pro Football Hall of Famer and Cancer Survivor. Thank you so much for your Thank time, you. Mike. Thank you. Hope we uh, can uh, continue to have this great warm weather here. 30 degrees today. <laughs> so we've got former NFL head coach, long-time defensive coordinator of various spots, Steve Spagnuolo with us. Um, you were one of the most interesting guys on Radio Row right now because you can tell me what the blueprint is to beat Tom Brady and this New England Patriots team. Yeah, I don't know if there's such a thing as a blueprint uh, against Tom Brady. Look, I know one thing. It takes 11 really good football players because he makes his other 10 players really, really good. He's the best that's ever played in the game. You know, we were very fortunate 10 years ago that we played a real good football game and won it. 
Uh, but I got a great deal of respect for Tom. So, I mean, a lot of people are comparing this Eagles team to the Giants team that you guys had. I think largely because of the deep defensive line and also a defensive line with four guys both interior and outside that went on the field at the same time could all bring pressure. Do you see any similarities there? No, I do. I mean, they'll put Brandon Graham inside. They already have Fletcher Cox. And we used to, in, in that game that we played 10 years ago, we put Justin Tuck inside. And, you know, the, the idea, and I'm sure the Eagles would do the same thing, was to get Tom a little bit uncomfortable, get him off the spot, because he's a very balanced thrower. I mean, he slides in that pocket as good as anybody. Now, to do that is a little bit easier said than done, uh, but I'm sure that'll be an attempt by the Eagles. The Eagles, from what I've seen, and I've not heard a lot of people mention this, they have the guys up front, and they mix man and zone, but they do play a fair bit of cover, cover three behind the, the pass rush, which I'm sure you, you've seen as well. Is that something they could do in this game, or do they need to man up 70-plus percent of the time and really lock jam down those wide receivers? Well, that's what we'll see. I mean, the one thing I think the Eagles will do is they'll do what they do. I don't think they'll stray too far away. So you're pretty dead on on what you're talking about, how they function up to this point. You know, for them to venture into anything too much different, now you're asking players to do something different in two weeks that they're not used to doing. But, you know, the challenge will be, you know, will they be able to be as tighten their coverage on those wide because Tom can throw into some tight spots we know what he is and I think the game will come down to what happens on the outside both offenses I think can they who can be effective in throwing to their outside receivers if you were the defensive coordinator what would be the keys to the game for you what would be the keys of your game plan to, to win this game? yeah I don't think this this is not revolutionary uh, but for every team you play you got to stop the run first I mean even though you know, the Patriots do throw the ball quite a bit. You can't let them run it on you because they will. Uh, after that, then it's about, you know, how, how often can you affect the quarterback? Two ways to affect the quarterback. Hit him as much as you can or affect his targets, which are his receivers at the line of scrimmage, and disrupt the timing. If you can stop the run and do that, I mean, you've got a pretty good chance of having some success. How difficult a matchup is, is Rob Gronkowski to prepare for? And... I mean, there's a million ways that you can defend yeah. him, and I don't think anybody's found the absolute right answer yet, but what, what would you be thinking if you were the Eagles in this game? No, look, at he's a, he's a creature you don't have to deal with every week. And now Malcolm Jenkins is a real good safety in this league, and Malcolm's a little bit, he's got some length, and he's an aggressive guy. I'm sure they'll use him at times on Gronk. And I think if Malcolm can get up there on him at the line of scrimmage and affect them there and not let him get out in a route and disrupt the timing, I think that'll help. I mean, I'm sure you'll see the Eagles double-team him once in a while but look Tom Brady's used to that and he'll just go find another target and and I've asked a lot of people about Bill Belichick this week because I think sometimes it, it gets it's Brady 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 and Belichick sometimes gets overlooked a little bit I mean as a coach who's gone against him yeah what's it like I mean is it the ultimate challenge because I've heard a lot of people say coaching wise they love to play them early in the season because he shows you the weaknesses in your own team almost yeah. Um, what's it like that coaching match? Well, he, you know, he's going to do that. Look, the one, the one thing I admire about them is that they get the players in their system that they know can adjust during the game and during the week, because they're great at changing schemes on both sides of the ball. I'm sure they do it on special teams as well. But that's the culture. That's what they built. The, the, the pressure is on those players to know from week to week what they're going to do and they do a great job at it. And how difficult is that? I mean the first yeah. thing we talked about was how the Eagles approach the game and you said they'll do what they do yeah. because it's hard to do that so 
it's it's incredible that they are able to. Yeah, do just it. a couple of different ways to go about it. There's all different philosophies in football. There's no one mold. I mean, look at both these teams doing function in the way they function have been successful. They're in the Super Bowl, uh, so we'll see when they face each other. You know who ends up winning. And you've been in yourself. You've been in New York for the last few years, interim head coach at the end of the season. What's what's next for you in terms of are you, are you looking for a DC job again? And yeah, look, I'm very hopeful, but it's late in the year. This is kind of happened in New York a little bit late. The, a lot of the jobs have dried up, and that's okay. Sometimes that happens. If it's a year off away from football, I'll fill my time somehow, I'll be around with football somewhere, and then hopefully I'll be back coaching again. I still have the fire under my belly and, and want to do it. And can that year off sometimes be great for you because you can kind of take a step back, reassess what you're doing? You know, sometimes you see things better when you step back outside of the game and look from from afar than you are when you're right in the middle of it and you got your head down and you got the the blinders on so i'll look forward to that and just finally can we get a pick for you for the game this week how do you see it shaking out uh, here's how i've been answering the whole pick thing i grew up in boston my in-laws are from philadelphia so i'm <laughs> staying right down the middle on this one <laughs> i would always be siding with the in-laws personally but that's yeah, great gotcha. thanks very much man appreciate you